Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. This Spiritual Fix. Now presenting question and answer time where you can ask us any question. Hello, Christina. Hello, Anna. The beginning of our bonus episode for this spiritual fix. We're recording it live. So there's going to be maybe some unpredictable sound interferences. Always. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't listen to the podcast, why are you here? Just kidding. No. For anyone who doesn't listen to the podcast, I'm Anna. And I'm Christina. And I'm Christina. And we're two best friends who have tried everything in the world that we can find to try to wake the fuck up. And we met at a Vipassana retreat about 12 years ago. Yep. Which, for anyone who doesn't know, is the teachings of the Buddha. It's a 10-day silent retreat. It's free. They serve great vegetarian food. You only pay by donation if you complete the course and, and say it changed your life. And you can find it at dhamma.org. But that's where we met. And we started a podcast when Christina moved. So here we are. Here we are. Here we are indeed. Yeah, and we've tried, we've tried as you'll listen in the podcast, everything since Vipassana that you could ever imagine. So, yeah. And we've tried a lot of shit before that too. So anyway. Yeah. So that was the brief summary. And then, Christina, do you want to tell us about your shitstorm? Yeah. No, it's been really interesting because, you know. Tell everyone what happened first. Okay, yeah. I'll tell everyone what happened. I'll, I'll elaborate on what you said before. So what happened is I knew that I needed to come to the UK. And then something happened that made it so that it was really important for me to come to offer support as well as to see, you know, to just kind of be there and be present and and help if I could, if that happened to be something else that I could do. And so then it was just going to be me because, you know, and then it was going to be both my kids and then it was going to be whatever. And there was all sorts of crazy stuff going on with who was going to come. And I was encouraged through my daughter so my niece could play with her and they could see each other again. And like my instinct told me that that was absolutely what I should not do because obviously my daughter is young enough to not be vaccinated. And, and yet I was like, no, you're right. That would be good. And I'm sure it would be good bonding. And I kind of just like convinced myself to do it, even though it went against literally every instinct that I had. And lo and behold, you know, six days into the trip, two days before we were supposed to schedule to be to leave and to actually take our, she wakes up with a fever and then she tests positive for COVID. And so due to the situation at the house I was in for health reasons, we had to move to a hotel immediately. And from that position, we then went to a Airbnb. And then four days later, I lost my smell. And then here you go. I get, I test positive for COVID on Saturday, even though I'm vaccinated. So I have just a cold really is what it is. But I'm just in this really fun situation where I don't know when I can go home because I don't know when I'm going to test negative and I have to do a call the embassies and I have to kind of do all this kind of stuff because it's all very unclear and everything's changing all the time. So for me, it's been a really, really interesting situation because one of my worst fears, and you will have heard this if you've listened a lot to the spiritual fix, is sickness and being sick and not being taken care of when I'm sick or not being able to take care of myself when I'm sick. And, you know, you're all alone in London. And I'm all alone in London taking care of my six year old 
by myself while I don't feel well with absolutely no other support systems. I have people who are like wanting to get stuff delivered, but like ultimately I have to cook and clean and do everything when I don't feel well. So, you know, and entertain and have emotional, be emotional support person and all that kind of stuff. And so like, it's really tested me because I went straight into codependence, right? Of wanting to be rescued, of wanting someone to come help, you know, which is an ultimately selfish thing when it comes to COVID. And, and then I also went from there straight into my abandonment and betrayal wounds through and then into the drama triangle, right? So as we've said on the podcast, the wounds are like the piano and the drama triangle is like the keys that you play it with. And I dropped straight into that place for days and days and days. And it really reached its height yesterday where I just felt like, you know, betrayal and abandonment were showing up everywhere all over my life. And, in, and I was just like, oh, and it was hilarious. And then I had this moment it was at 4.44 your time and it was at 8.44 my time when I literally was like, oh my God, I've totally fallen off the wagon. Like what, 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 this is what Anna and I say, you know, I've fallen off the wagon into the abyss of the drama triangle. And she was like, what, what did you say, Anna? You, you had the same, you had the exact same thought at the exact oh, yeah. same time. And you I had the exact same it. thought. Christina has completely lost her shit. And can I call her? It was 4.40 for my time. What time is it in London? It was 8.44 for you. But like the exact minute that I was like, Christina is in a really fucking dark place. You were. Oh, I totally was. No. And, and the thing is, is that. And you still are, right? Or no? I'm not. I'm not actually anymore because what I had to do through this whole situation, and this is, this is really key for any of you guys who may be going through wounds work or trying to get out of the drama triangle, is that like, you can't bypass it by trying to fix it or forgive it or, you know, kind of do something else. Like I needed to feel all of those feelings. And one of the things that happened in this period too, is that Robbie, our shaman, she did some work on me because I knew that this was something that was a lesson. I mean, everything's a lesson. Everything's our medicine. Everything's our food. Right. But like, I knew that it was something deeper and what she was finding was that I was for the first part of this entire situation, I was reliving the cycle that I had as a six year old. So basically at some point, like at six was when my mother died of an illness and I basically learned how to cope at that age. And then I just never could get out of that cycle. Like I, and so I was basically perpetually dealing with situations like this, with the capacity of a six-year-old, right? And it would took this situation for her to identify it, for me to release it, and and then to to kind of move over and 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 so that's what was so interesting, right? Is that that's what I realized today was that you know six-year-old self, six-year-old Christine, once she was released and allowed to like not have to be responsible for my emotional response in this kind of type of situation, I then was presented with a series of situations in which multiple times I still acted like a six-year-old. And then other times I'd be like, oh no, I don't have to act like this. I can act in a different way. I can actually recycle through this very experience and become and, and be a you know 38-year-old woman when I deal with it, be more emotionally mature. And so that's what I've really been learning with this, right? So it's a bit of, there's a bit of, there's a lot of, I mean, it's all shadow work, but it's been a really interesting journey. And I feel like I'm come out on the other side. I definitely struggle sometimes, but I, I can say it from, I'm not crying every minute, which I was yesterday. So <laughs> I've been crying at all today. So that's my long story. Yeah. And Anna, of course, has been my rock through this whole thing. When I've wanted to like throw every everybody else out the window, I love you all, but you know every like all the failed attempts at help and all the lack of help and all the lack of like all that kind of stuff, and it's just like it's okay, Christina, just just don't 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 go too far down this road because you could cause irreparable damage, <laughs> things like that. So, her and Eric have been great. Oh, yeah, my husband, too. Every yeah. time I chat with you, my husband jumps on and he tries to joke around and make it funny. And Yeah. Thank you for the energetic support. Thank you for the healing. Yes. It's all good. Yeah. I hope, I hope that, yeah. 
For anyone who just entered, Christina's been um, marooned all alone in London in a hotel with a six-year-old, and they both had COVID. Yeah. No help. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that, and hopefully... Well, I hope by the next time we record an episode, you can tell more what you've learned from all this. I feel yeah. like you still might be in it. I'm definitely in it, but I'm, I'm in it in a coping, not a coping way, in a capability way. Like, my capability has increased a lot. Whereas, like, before, I think I was so in it that I, like, literally couldn't even see straight. <laughs> Yesterday, I was like, are you seriously crying again? I was like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I can't. But I also think that that's, you know, just to kind of add to it, now that I've had COVID, there is a massive fear, like, form that is associated with being in COVID. And it's like, you know, they used to say this, like when you got full blown, like I definitely haven't even gotten full blown, but the, the amount of anxiety and depression that you feel in the early days, obviously there's panic associated with, have I done this? Have I gotten this? That kind of stuff. But like, there's something funky. I'm just going to say that I haven't, I haven't actually come to the conclusion, but having experienced it and being in tune with that kind of intuitive feeling of things Robbie would call it a morphogenic field, which is basically like a field of intelligence, or that's what we would call it as well. Something along those lines with COVID in particular. Oh, that's, there's your groceries. That's me. On so to you. you. So I will read it while Christina is getting her groceries. Okay, here I go. I became aware recently that I have reoccurring themes and patterns when it comes to my relationship towards men related to abandonment and rejection. It is something that is causing me great pain and this time it feels especially difficult to handle those feelings because I am afraid that I've made some mistakes when interacted with a certain person. I have a hard time forgiving myself for not communicating my boundaries and standards well enough, and I feel that I was somehow used, which wouldn't have happened if I had been more straightforward. I never felt good enough, especially when it comes to relationships, and I've purchased so many books and courses and watched, some, and watched tons of videos but it still feels like it is a lost cause, and I feel tired of trying over and over and over again with the wrong person. I also believe that I've come a long way. I don't believe in quick fixes anymore. I'd like to take responsibility for my life, and I also feel that if I would love myself just a little bit better, I would enjoy my life more. So I'm not quite sure like what the question is in there. I guess the question is, you know, why do I have resistance to self-love and my ability to have self-love is tying me up in not creating boundaries with the right people and dating the right people. So the question is basically, why does she have resistance to self-love? I really wish Christina would get her ass over here. So, okay, I'll identify one thing in this, which is that she says, I don't believe in quick fixes anymore. I do believe in quick fixes. I think that it is a false belief to think that the road to self-discovery and healing is long and arduous and hard and difficult. For some reason, we all have that in our head. I'll give you an example. I was in like traditional therapy where you sit on the couch and talk for a year and I saw no fucking changes. And then I had a session with our shaman and in one hour it changed everything. And I do believe in quick fixes, but in order to have a quick fix, you have to penetrate the subconscious mind. And the best way I think to do that is through hypnosis. So getting yourself in an alpha or theta state and then addressing the issue because we can stay on the, the superficial alpha level forever. I'm sorry, the superficial the beta, beta mm -hmm. forever without going deep. So I do believe that you can have a quick fix. And there is something called RTT by Marissa Peer. And it's called rapid transformation therapy. And it's called that because it's rapid. It takes basically one session. And the session lasts one to two hours. And then you listen to a 30-minute track for 21 days. And it is fast, but it freaking works. You go back and you find the origin of your problem in, in a very deep alpha theta state. And you resolve it. And those sessions cost a lot of money. Like they're anywhere from 200 to $500. And you might think, oh, my gosh, it's so much money to spend 200 to $500 in one session. But you get so much out of it so quickly. And, like, the example I'll give is that when I was trying to get my son to learn how to swim, I had a decision to make. And I ended up getting him private one-on-one -on -one lessons. He learned to swim in five lessons. We paid a lot of money for those five one-on-one -on -one sessions. 
But I think in the long run, we actually paid less because my friends put their kids in like swim camp and swim class with a group of like 10 other kids. And they would do like three sessions and end up spending the same amount of money and they still wouldn't know how to swim. So I, I feel like it's very similar. If sometimes you get what you pay for and like, would you rather pay your copay at insurance for therapy for two years and not get anywhere or, or pay the $400 up front and be done with it. Anyways, that's just a side note. You know, we talk in episode in the shadows and light episode, which I think is, Oh God, my brain is mush with numbers right now. Latter part of the season, we talk about dark work and how dark work is like, you know, to use the analogy, like of the bathtub, light work is like, what you put into the bathtub shadow work is like cleaning out the dirty water. And then the dark work is like the Drano when the drain is clogged for some reason, and you can't seem to get rid of something. And if you have, whether it's you facilitating it yourself, which is something that we're teaching in our bonus episode next week is how to um, identify and remove implants, or you're working with a shaman, or it's uh, something that I work with my clients as well. Like, you know, Reiki, there's a number of different things that you can do that can remove impediments that like they act as the Drano, right? And then it's like, all of a sudden, you immediately feel better. I've had a number of different and, and I think in Reiki, they're called miraculous healings, and probably anywhere they could be called miraculous healings. And I've seen that. And I've facilitated that. And I've experienced that myself multiple different times where it's usually in the realm of dark work, where it's just like, hey, you seem to be feeling tired all the time, you know, what's going on? And it's like, oh, you have some stuff attached to you right now. Let's release that. Oh my gosh, you immediately feel better. That's great. So like, I think that's kind of what I'm saying when it comes to a quick fix. And I think in terms of just to respond to what you were saying too, Anna, like with therapy, I think that it can be really beneficial to speak to someone, you know, to feel heard, to do all that kind of stuff. I think it, it depends on your aim, right? Like it depends on your aim. Like ultimately there isn't anything to fix. And if you talking to someone that whole time is going to help you do that, then that's fine. But if you're wanting to really remove a lot of shadow, if wanting to do shadow work rapidly, then I definitely agree with Anna that it's, you know, regressions or something like that are really useful and effective. And if you are the person who wrote in that question, I just took two implants off you. So maybe this will no longer be an issue. We'll see. You'll have to email us back. Yeah. So, so she goes into saying, I don't know if you read the question already, Christina. She has a hard time forgiving herself for not communicating boundaries and standards and feeling, I think it comes down to just not feeling worthy and thinking other people's opinions are more valuable than your own. And I think that don't, don't like beat yourself up for that. I think it'll just come naturally as you come to forgive yourself and love yourself more yeah because because what we tend to see happen and this is what i found in myself and what i've seen with other people is that for people who habitually do not set boundaries by the time they do they're so quote unquote <laughs> aggressive with the way that they place their boundary that it has a lot of ricochet effect Are you talking to me? i am absolutely <laughs> talking about you <laughs> I, I mean, I am, but I'm also talking about myself and other people. It's like, it, and so you need to forgive yourself to recognize that maybe you're not setting the boundary early enough early and enough. healthy enough. It's early enough and healthy. You know, like setting a healthy boundary early and in the right time when you feel it initially, you'll, you may find that it is the easiest thing in the world to do. And you're just like, oh, that wasn't a big deal. Right. Yeah. It's when you wait. It's like you start sweeping a little bit of dust under the rug and you just keep sweeping it and sweeping it. And before you know it, you've destroyed the rug. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that like your your worth starts, your, you know, it, it is absolutely a lesson in self-worth, but it's also a lesson in, you know, you may be the type of person who wants to avoid confrontation for because either you're displaying codependence things where you want to make sure that nobody leaves you or because you've had really bad repercussions in a particular a relationship in which any time that you actually did create those boundaries, even if it was in a healthy early, there were bad repercussions. 
but just recognize that every, but not everybody is like that. And so try and forgive yourself by doing it early and often with setting boundaries. And it can also be a question of what's familiar and what's unfamiliar, because maybe you had very controlling parents that anytime you voiced your needs, you were punished. You were punished for having a voice. Or maybe someone in the family was sick, or maybe someone in the family was handicapped, and their needs were more important. So anytime you voiced your needs, you were made to feel that you shouldn't have them because there was someone else suffering, you know? That's a very common one. But maybe you were punished for having a voice, and so it's become familiar not to have a voice. And you know what you could do? And this might sound really fucked up, but, I mean, I don't think it's that terrible. Maybe just tell yourself, the next four guys I go on a date with, even if I don't like them, I'm going to go on five dates with them, unless obviously they're like, like, you know, super red flags, flags. yeah, you know, you know, and just be like, I'm going to give the next four guys I I go on a date with five dates. And on all five dates, I'm going to just practice making boundaries with them. Like I may or may not like them. Let me just make boundaries with them so that you can start practicing. And then when the guy that you really like comes along, it's going to be more familiar. You're going to have more practice doing it. And that sounds really bad. Like you're using these guys for practice. I mean, that sounds really bad, but you're giving them, you know, five dates, the opportunity to meet you. So it's a win-win. Yeah. And you can also do it at work. You can also do it with parenting. Yeah. Like, hey, it doesn't have to be dating. Yeah. Just pick five people. Yeah. It could be, it could be, it, yeah, you could do it at work. You could be like, hey, today I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to create a boundary that says that I'm not going to work this late this time. You know, you're cre- maybe the boundaries don't even necessarily need to interact with other people at first. Maybe it's just boundaries that you set with your own value to say that actually my evenings are much better off if I don't work late or, or with your kids, if you have kids and be like, Hey, actually me getting up to get you this thing right now is not the best thing for you and me. So I'm going to set that boundary gently and nicely because if I don't, then half an hour from now, when you've told me to get up 10 times and I have therapy, it's going to be worse. Right. So I'd say just practice with people. Yeah. Okay. Do you think we answered that question? Yeah. Okay. The second question is, when does one become good slash proficient at lucid dreaming? So this is a a direct question about one of the episodes we did on dream. And this person bought our dream package and said that it was really helping him remember his dreams and get better at lucid dreaming. But he wanted to know, like, when is he going to get to the level that he can just go to bed and have a lucid dream any night? I feel like like that's kind of the same answer of, like, when when am I I going to be able to play Chopin? when you can play Chopin like I don't know I I think I think it it also reminds me of the story of the Buddha where the man was like went to the Buddha and and the man was like it's it's not quite this but I love the story anyway so I'm going to just tell it a man went to the Buddha and he said if I like if I just sat down here and I meditated nonstop and was completely equanimous how long would it take me to become enlightened? And the Buddha's like, uh, seven days, right? And so the man's like, great, okay, cool. So he's like, going, he's going, he's going, he gets to like six days. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, I'm about to be enlightened. And then bam, he has to start back from zero because he had craving for wanting enlightenment. So he had to start back from zero for seven days. So, you know, lucid dreaming isn't quite that, but it is a matter of just like, having the confidence to know that like if you keep practicing and you keep practicing all the different techniques, then you're going to make progress no matter what. We're always waking up as Ram Dass says, right? Yeah. I think you just get better and better at it. It means we're always waking up in our dreams too, lucidly. Right. Right. Okay. Another question. I hear things about how you have to get out of your ego to spiritually evolve, but I have also heard that the ego is necessary and you don't want to get out of it. What do your teachings say about the ego? I have gone so, for me, I'll just answer first. Like, I've gone so around the bend with this because I feel like I was originally taught that, like, the ego is something that you needed to transcend. And then, you know, I think that a lot of it gets confused with, like, the kind of Freudian term of, like, what is the ego? And everyone kind of gets all around that. But, like, if I were to just, like, lay it out what I think, is that I believe that the ego has a role, a very, very important role in keeping the body alive. 
and keeping um, the soul basically being the vessel of the soul, which is like the emotional body, the physical body and the mental body. That ego is very necessary for kind of keeping that together. And I don't believe that you need to get, I don't think you can get rid of it. And, and I also think that it just needs to be put in its place. Like it needs to be in its healthy place where it provides the container it's our personalities. I had once had a teacher who was just like, she's like, oh, don't worry about all that stuff. That's just my personality. You know, that's just the thing. That's just the other parts about me. Like, you know, I can't, I can't, I'm not, I'm still an ego person in a body. And as I am, I'm going to have an ego. And the more you fixate on the ego, the more it becomes a boundary that you have to overcome just because you've created that as a boundary, because you've created as another thing you have to do before you become enlightened, like another thing you have to do. And it's like, you don't actually have to do anything other than control where you put your attention, which is not on dissolving the ego. It's on becoming more empty, becoming get, like getting that, that vessel. And even if you have a personality, even if you have an ego, it's not a big thing. I'd say the teachings of Ram Das are great about when he talks about the ego and he says, even when he got enlightened, he didn't lose his neuroticisms. Uh -huh. I used to think that I had to overcome the ego and that the ego was my enemy. Mm. And, you know, I'd see my ego being selfish and my ego wanting attention and my ego doing this, and my ego doing that. I used to like be like, fuck. And I've come to see more and more as I walk on this path that it's less about separating yourself from the ego as like, that's the villain and being like, that's so cute. Mm -hmm. Look how cute my ego is. Like, Christine and I will joke, like, sometimes she'll be like, I fucking hate so-and-so. I fucking want to kill him. And I'm like, that's so cute. Like, yeah. like, can we find the cuteness and the innocence and the beauty in our ego? Like, can we love our ego? And it doesn't mean that the ego gets to run the show, but, but I think more and more recognizing the ego and taking <laughs> a step back and observing who's behind the ego and then loving the ego and not, and not punishing yourself for having one. Exactly. I don't know, you know, I don't know when we get to the end what it's like, but I can just say it feels right to just love it. I think so. I mean, it's just more of you to love, really, right? Like if it's all about the realization of of just loving yourself in totality. So whether you're looking at the course in miracles, which actually says that everything is a projection of ourself that's waiting to be forgiven, that's waiting for to be loved, you know then the ego is just another thing to love, right? You know, and, and like I said, if you put that attention on it as something that you need to dissolve or get rid of, then I think that you're wasting your attention. All right, another question says, this is actually going back to season one. Where did my abandonment wound come from if I was never abandoned? My answer is going to be slightly controversial, parents. <laughs> I believe that cry it out can cause an abandonment wound. That might be controversial, and I don't mean to parent shame anyone, but from the work I've done on myself under hypnosis and going back and seeing my own memory, being left to cry it out can cause an abandonment wound. Another idea that I have is in utero twin loss, which is another controversial one, but they say that a very large percentage of babies lose their twin in the uterus, and you might not even know it. So it's possible that you were attached to someone that you lost and you felt abandoned. And I've met people that have said that all their life they felt like someone was missing, that they had been abandoned, and, like, their parent later told them, oh, yeah, you had a, a twin brother that died. Like, why the parent didn't tell them earlier, I don't know. But, you know, there's those things. The third one could be that you were emotionally abandoned, even if you weren't physically abandoned, even if no one ever, like, got up and left. They weren't attentive to your needs. They left you to fend for yourself a little too young, something like that. Another option could be maybe it was in a past life. Maybe you brought that in here to be forgiven. Maybe that's part of your life lesson is, is you bringing that in here now to, to, for it to learn. And another one could be inherited trauma. Like their the genetics mutate. There's, I don't know where I heard it, but it was like some family was in a famine and then they looked at these mark like DNA markers in their in their blood. I'm totally citing this wrong, but it's like it carried over six generations or something. The trauma of that famine carried over into the great 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 grandchildren. So it's like it's like well maybe you had a great grandparent or a grandparent who survived World War II or 
or was adopted or had some sort of major trauma and maybe you've inherited that genetically. Well, that's, you, well, that's interesting. You say that I, I learned a fascinating thing and I wish, I wish I could give the exact stats, but when your grandmother was four months pregnant with your mother is when you were formed as an egg in your mother. So like, your egg is as old, like, you know, if your grandmother had your mother and like, and you know, my mother was born in 1950, my egg is as old as 1950, right? And inherits the trauma. Like, even if you just look at it, like whether it's epigenetically or whatever you want to say, like even the egg, which is half of the genetic material that comes there is formed when your grandmother has your mother in utero at four months. Like that's, you know, like you just don't even think whatever your grandmother was going through at that time is something that you're directly imprinted on as you're being created in the womb. So it's an interesting, interesting little side tidbit there I, I read the other day. I'm going to keep my answer short because I will just tease next season that I think that I'm, I'm working a lot for next season on the mother wound, which is a lot of what I talked about at the beginning of this. I call it abandonment betrayal, but I think that a lot of us may have mother wounds or insecure attachment or whatever you want to call it. And I think that it doesn't necessarily require a direct influence of something happening that your mother did to you or a someone did to you, like a physical, like, like Anna said, it could be an emotional abandonment of some sort. So I've been doing a lot of research and doing a lot of inner research as well. And putting myself out there as the as the uh, guinea pig as usual as we do here and finding that I think it, it can go from the actual like small self level of like I have a parent or I have a someone to like a much bigger level as well which as we progress in our spiritual you know path it's kind of what we talked about in the the hindrances of the formless in the form of, of the fear of being formless and the fear of having form, right? Is that not fear? This is COVID mush in my brain. Anna, can you help me? The craving for form and the craving for formless. Thank you. Thank you. So I think that Anna's answer is sufficient, but I think that, I think that a lot of the time you can't attribute it to a certain event or anything that maybe even had happened at this life. The thing is, is that you have it. That's something for you to work on and you've discovered it. So great. You've been given access to it. And you know what? As you spread awareness, you may be given more information as to why you have that wound. But you got to sit there in front of you, like, you know, yeah. take the opportunity. And one of the things our teacher, S.N. Goenka, says is he says, you don't have to understand everything to clean it. Like he gives the analogy of someone washing their clothes. And if you pay, take your clothes and you're like looking at that stain and this stain and this stain and you're like, where did it come from? Like, was that grape juice? Was that blood? Like, what was that? You don't have to know what you're washing. Just wash. Just wash it. Forgive exactly. it. Feel it. Forgive it. Feel it. And uh, just wash it. And it's going to come out. You don't have to know like the exact origin. Exactly. Some people do. Sometimes you do. There are things that you do need to understand, but you don't always need to know exactly. Yeah. Where and, that, and that's the thing, like even in the, the emotion code for anyone who's familiar with that is like a, it's a system for releasing um, stuck emotions from the body using magnets running over the body. And sometimes the emotions go without needing to know why or where they came from. And sometimes they do like sometimes it's, it's half and half. So that's another example of a, of a system that uses, you know, a similar thing of like releasing things that are stuck in the body, whether they're wounds or, or, or emotions, sometimes they want to be known. And other times they're just like, I'm going to get the fuck out of here. See ya. So another question, why focus on waking up instead of on earthly human lessons? Or are we just here to further our path? Basically, why are we born into a human body? Why is the point to overcome being human when we are born human? Like, basically, I, why are we here? I think that's interesting, because I think I, I was like, what's the difference between what you, the earthly human lessons and waking up? I was like, I think they're the same thing, right? Right. Well, I think it, it's great. If, if anyone hasn't read them, there's these series of books called Conversations with God by Neil Donald Walsh. It's about a man who accidentally falls into having a conversation with God doing automatic writing. And he asked that question, like, why the hell are we here? Why are we supposed to wake up? Like, if you want us to wake up, why are we asleep over here? And the answer God gives them in the book is amazing, and I love it. And it's so in tune with, like, Buddhism, Hinduism. And he says that basically you can only know up without knowing. You, you, 
up does not know itself without down. Left does not know itself without right. High does not know itself without low. And like, you just can't experience anything without duality. So we come into this plane of existence of duality to know what is oneness, divine, and love. So the only way we can experience, truly know ourselves as div divinity and love is to experience its opposite, which is human, <laughs> which is all these highs and lows. Like we, we don't have a yardstick to measure divine love and oneness without experience the sense of separation. So basically we are born to, we are, we are one. And then we come into this world to have the individualized experience of separation when we are secretly one. And it's just to know ourselves again because we signed up for this fun game. That, yeah. That's the thing. And as, and as my husband's guru said, we are but the dream of the creator knowing itself. Like, we are the creator's dream. We are just knowing our, learning to know ourselves mm -hmm. through the lens of the dreamer, the the, of the dream. Yeah, and I think that's similar to what The Course in Miracles would say, too, because it's like, you know, there's a view that says that, you know, what it's the idea of, like, that same idea of knowing yourself. It's like the more you can come to realize your state as divine while still in a human body, like you're able to ground that energy. Like we, I've had a lot of teachers. It's interesting. Cause like so many of the different teachers I've had have like put in different pieces of this story and, and they'll, they'll always have it from a different lens, slightly different lens. And I remember one of my teachers, you know, he talks about how the more we ground our divine selves in our body, the more it's like, we're helping it's, it's not even about helping the more that we're just realizing like it's like you can only do it in a human body right mm -hmm. like you can't do it in, in a form outside of it and, and apparently there's yeah. a wait list for planet earth like if we are here we are lucky i they i always remember i think it was i think it was i can't remember i'm, I'm just gonna say it was robbie's teacher. I'm, um, i think it was robbie's teacher who told us that and my husband's guru no, oh no, a lot of teachers have said that, but one of the things that the Buddha said was that the chance of becoming a human is this, the equivalent of one turtle surfacing on the surface of the entire Pacific Ocean and hitting its head on a single coconut that was floating in the Pacific Ocean. So like imagine that like a turtle comes up and hits a coconut at the one in, in the entire ocean, like that's the chance of becoming a human. And I was always like, I mean, for me, for y'all who may have heard me, that I, you know, I'm always just like, oh man, fuck being human. I'm becoming to love it and recognize how much power I have as a human in a human body waking up um, more and more. It really is a gift. And if you don't, if you're like me and you don't feel like it's a gift, I would recommend like putting more enjoyment and excitement and fun into your life so that you can start to feel it as the gift that it is. So, so yeah. I have something to add about that, by the way. Yeah. I had a dream a couple nights ago that I was with Archangel Michael and Ram Das was there and Krishna Das was there. Krishna Das teaser. He's going to be in season three. We're interviewing him. So <laughs> in the dream, Archangel Michael says, you want to visit the divine as much as possible because your brain just cannot conceptualize that you are the divine. Like there's all this resistance in the brain. You need to visit the divine over and over and over again. And then eventually you're going to remember that you're the divine, but you can't just like turn it on and off. It's like, you got to go there and come back many a times to remember that you are the divine. So as much as possible, visit the divine. And then Ram Das was like, Ram Das was like, he visited the divine with LSD and shrooms before getting his enlightenment. And Krishna Das uses music, kirtans, to visit the divine. But we are all, we all have our own aptitudes of, like, getting there. So go there as much as possible because that's going to help you wake up. Yeah. That was the message I got. Which is a beautiful message. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I, that's it. Like, that's. Again, I keep quoting Course, Course in Miracles, but it's kind of my go-to these days is that, you know, the mind cannot handle waking up all at once. If it were, it would go insane. Yeah, sometimes um, I'm scared. I'm like, well, what if I get enlightened? Will I just die? Like, just leave my body? Like, I mean, no, that's, I, that's the thing. Is, it, and that's the fear. Of I mean, well, that's, yeah, that's like, that's your fear of 
that's that's another one of those aversions, right? But but that the mind can't ha couldn't handle with actually being fully realized all at once, it would go insane. So it uses the tools of the world around us to be able to give us lessons slowly in the way that we need to in the right time and when we are ready for them, no matter how hard they are, we are ready for them. One of my best friends from PT school called me and he's like, Anna, he's a very religious Christian. And he calls me, he's like, Anna, I started meditating a few nights ago and I was told that 3.30 in the morning is the best time. So I'm just waking up at 3.30 and meditating. He's like, and this morning I feel like I left my body and I was experiencing bliss and all these bright lights. Like, what's going on? And I was like, oh, you just got to taste the divine. But got a preview. don't get attached. I was like, but yeah. don't get attached. Don't get Just a preview. So the last question we got was, how do you let go of attachments to a person? I'm guessing well, this is a toxic person. Like, how do you let go of wanting to be with a narcissist or something? I think, honestly, uh, I'm going to go back to tension being our great human power. And we need to find replacement therapies for so much of the stuff that we do. Because, you know, like in the sense of like, if you want to learn to stop smoking, like come up with another habit, like you're, you know, drinking tea or doing something like chewing gum or doing something like that. Right. So like getting rid of attachments for one thing starts with changing the behavior and creating excitement in your life that does not involve that person. Right. So moving your attention away from them, giving yourself enough to be able to actually, you know, concentrate on something else fill your life with fun and excitement that does not involve that person. And what you'll find is that naturally your, your kind of tender hooks will come out of them and the attachments that you have to them. And then once you're in a more stable place where you're not kind of obsessively looking at that person or feeling attached to that person or feeling like they complete you, even if it's a very toxic relationship, once you kind of do that, draw your attention away, make it interesting elsewhere, then you can do more shadow work sort of things of like actually really cutting ties with that person. Because it could be you have a contract with them. And we're going to that's in our bonus episode next week as well is how to break contracts. So yeah, I'm going to address the question, how do you break attachments with people according to four different things, spiritual, yeah. emotional, physical, and intellectual. So on the spiritual level, I think you need to do cord cutting. You can Google cord cutting ceremonies. You can visualize all the cords that are connected to you. Maybe your heart chakra is connected to their sex chakra. Maybe your sex chakra is connected to their heart chakra. Figure out like where you are energetically connected with this person and visualize cutting it. You can do like a candle ceremony. You can do a cord cutting ceremony, but just on the spiritual energetic level, try to cut ties with them on the emotional level. I would say work on self-love because the more you love yourself, the more you're going to feel the desire to protect yourself from being with people who don't love you back or don't treat you correctly. So I would say self-love and self-forgiveness for, for the emotional one. For the physical one, I would physically remove yourself from them. If this means you have to block them, like look really immature and block them on social media, delete their phone numbers, block them, do it. Just do it. Don't go to where they, you know they're going to be, at least not until you're strong enough. And then the last one is intellectual. I would really go into listening to our drama triangle series and try to understand from a intellectual understanding, like where in the drama triangle are you hooked with this person? Do they like to play the victim card? And then you feel this overwhelming need to rescue them. Or do you like to play the victim card and wait for them to rescue you? Like try to understand intellectually the dynamic that's going on and then recognize that like there is no cheese at the end of that tunnel. Yeah. Great. So that's what I'd say. We had we had a couple of quick questions that questions I wanted. Questions coming in, yeah. So one is, are we going to do an, a Course in Miracle episode in Season 3? We don't have one planned, but we do have two spots available for Season 3 for episodes that we've not yet just chosen, so maybe we will. And if I'm doing the majority of the talking for anyone who got here late, Christina has COVID, so I'm trying to like do the majority of the talking to save her voice. No, it's all good. I think I think it's a great idea because I think – that we talk enough about it and I think it's a good call. So I, yes. I, I recommend, I would love, I would love to talk about it for that long too. And if you are interested in the A Course in Miracles or anything that I said about it, I would really recommend the starting reading for the Course in Miracles is not actually the Course in Miracles, but is the book, The Disappearance of the Universe by Gary Renard. It's absolutely incredible. And it's what got me into 
the Course in Miracles in a way that I could was actually linear, whereas like the Course in Miracles is holographic in the sense that you can open any page and get something out of it, but like is really freaking confusing. How did you guys find someone reliable like Robbie to help with healing stuff? Kind of hard in Germany. So Robbie is our shaman, and if you've heard us talk about her, she's awesome. She's got a lot of integrity. I jokingly say if I was stuck on an island and I could only pick a few people, she's like one of the first people I'd want just because I, I can trust her. We met her We met her by chance, and it was only through experience that I came to realize she's the real deal. How do you find someone like that? Well, first of all, Robbie can do sessions remotely. Yeah. Can, if you got an internet, you can still book a session with Robbie. So distance yeah. isn't really an issue with a lot of energy work. I, I, I also ahead. do sessions with people along the same lines. So Robbie taught me a lot of different things and I do, I work with people all over the world yeah. with that kind of stuff and do the same sort of healing and intuitive sessions and things like that. We do a lot of the same things because of the reason that I've been working with her for so many years. So, yeah. And also like word of mouth, like there's this funny saying, it says, don't ask advice from someone whose advice you wouldn't take. Like sometimes, like let's say you want to vent about your marriage. Like I'm not going to go vent about my marriage to someone whose marriage I think is fucked up, you know. <laughs> I'm going to go vent to someone who has a marriage that I like. So yeah. find someone that you admire or that, who's, that you respect that the path that they're leading and ask them who they've been using. I'm sure there's meetup groups in your town for meditation. And once you start, you know, socializing more and more with people who are in the meditative circles, they're going to know people who know people who can recommend people to, if you want yeah. someone local. Yeah. If you want someone local. Cause yeah. Because that's the thing is that like you got to find the person who jives with you. And so for me, like when I have people come and work with me, I usually find that they're all in, you know, just at the right for us to just have a really great partnership and a really great like healing journey together. And the people who go to Robbie end up having that same thing with her too. And then the other thing too is just to ask. I know that sounds really strange, but just like ask the universe and be like, hey, I'm ready for this person and start inquiring about it what we talked about this in the celestine prophecy episode in episode 19 which is just that like the more you're open to it and like following the synchronicities or following your gut instinct or kind of following whatever you find your intuitive self is you'll find the person who you need that can help you in your healing journey yeah well we're coming to the end of this instagram live yeah uh, i had one question for christina what was your favorite episode of season two and what are you most looking forward to for season three? All right. So my favorite episode in season two is hard because I mean, the fucking drama triangle was such a, I mean like my, my favorite episodes are always associated with like how much learning and how much like I enjoyed kind of doing it. I did not enjoy learning about the drama triangle at all, but I love the outcome of it and the tools that it gave me. So, but it was actually specifically the reflections on the drama triangle. The episode that you and I did together when we were in person was one of my favorite episodes because I love the way that it flowed and I also love the way that it summarized the drama triangle in a kind of a different and more accessible way. That's my favorite episode too. Oh, seriously? We did not coordinate this beforehand. We did we not. That was my favorite episode because it's like we'd gone through the hell of it all. Yeah. And we were like, okay, we can reflect on it. Yeah. The other favorite would be Robbie, the episode with Robbie. That was really fun, too. Again, that was in person, and it was, like, really, a really great... Um, and it was a rainy um, night. And for me, I all my second favorite was probably the Ram Dass episode, oh, yeah. because I've been working a lot with him, and his work is really changing me <coughs> quickly. And, yeah, I call it Ram Dass work, which is basically living from the heart, and it's fucking hard. Yeah. It's really, really hard. And then looking forward to next season, uh, I mean, God, we have so many cool interviews coming up, which is oh. not our normal thing, right? We have so many cool interviews, so I'm really looking forward to Satyan and Suzanne. Go ahead. I think, so Satyan um, and Suzanne Raja, are, we're interviewing them for kind of the, the, the yin and the yang, like the divine feminine and divine masculine. Or, and both of them, I remember... Uh, they're just such good interviews, and I'm really, really looking forward to them. So go ahead with the, with the guests that we have next coming up this okay, season. Our guest list is Krishna Das, Suzanne Insethian, Laura Day, who is an intuitive, Gemma Rain, who is like a life coach, but she's kind of a, a divorce coach on TikTok. Yeah. She's really interesting. And then Maya Vorderstrasse, which is if you are a mother, you got to know who Maya is. 
her photos have gone viral. She's been in like magazines. She is very transparent about her mental health challenges while being a mother. And uh, she's a beautiful person. So I'm looking forward to that. And, and that you got to know, it's like, you're recommending that people know, right? Because for me, who's like, usually sits under rock, I didn't know about it until you showed her to me. And she's really cool. Yeah. Happy so just to give everyone awesome. a little recap of, of, of what to do during the break, we've got a two-week break here. Break. Christina's recovering from COVID in London and trying to figure out how to get back to the U.S. break. So we've got season one is all about the primal wounds and kind of the basic foundations for understanding the spiritual path. Season two is about dreams and guides and the drama triangle, the dreaded drama triangle. If you did the primal wounds work, that's, let's say, elementary school. Drama triangle is high school. And mm -hmm. we're moving into undergrad with chakra healing. So season three is all about healing the sex chakra, the first, also known as the first chakra or the root chakra. So we're diving into tantra, which everyone thinks tantra is about sex. Tantra is not just about sex. Tantra is about accepting all that life has to offer you because usually spiritual paths were devoted to say Brahmins, which are monk type privileged people, let's say, ascetics, etc. The Tantra path is for the householder. So it's for anyone who has a body. So you got a body, you can do Tantra. So it does encompass healing, you know, sexual healing. It does encompass sex. There are people in the Tantric path in India that will drink out of skull heads. Like, I don't know if you know this, they will take a skull a human skull and drink out of it because they're trying to make themselves familiar with death and decay because they're saying, I need to embrace all aspects of life, even the disgusting things. And that will help me become enlightened. So no, we're not drinking out of skulls in season three, but we're going to go into like how Tantra is accepting the whole human experience. And we're focusing mostly on the healing of the male and the female synthesis. Yeah, that exists within all, all of us, the Eda and the Pinkla that goes up our spine, like it is. <laughs> so it's, it's really exciting, and maybe we'll see A Course in Miracles as well. And, yeah, all really right. looking forward to that. I don't see any last questions, so I think we're good. Mm -hmm. So thanks for tuning in, and next week we'll have another quick bonus on breaking soul contracts. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye, everyone. And remember, humility, gratitude, Acceptance. Done. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it, and all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover.